0: I thought it would be a good idea perhaps that we take just a moment at this point and just summarize or review what we've done up until this point in the first four lessons that we've done together. We've come to understand that the glory of God is His manifested presence. It is when God comes into our realm out of His realm and people living in the natural realm experience Him that we actually have an encounter with God because God is a supernatural God. Sometimes we want to make God a natural God. We want to make God in our own image and we want to define what he does and the way that he goes about doing it by our own standards and by our own ability to measure. But the reality is, is God is a lot bigger than you and I and he's a lot bigger than the realm that we see and the realm that we live in. And what glory is, is when His realm invades our realm and we experience Him using one or more of our five senses. We've come to understand that His presence when it comes, His glory when it comes, must be honored and reverenced and respected. For it's the highest, greatest privilege, honor that you and I or anyone anywhere can ever know is to stand in the manifested presence of God. Now, the reason that we are taking so much time to cover these specific areas is, my brothers and sisters, we're living today in a day of glory. We're living in a moment of history that literally the prophecies of men and women of God thousands of years ago are beginning to be fulfilled in our generation with an ever-increasing frequency and intensity. I believe that the closer we come to the second coming of Jesus, the greater the revelation of God is going to be. And as leaders in the body of Christ, it is not just suggested. It is not just nice if we can do that. It is going to increasingly be absolutely mandatory in the days coming that we stay in step with what God is doing that we run the race that has been set before us, that we come to understand that God's presence in our lives individually, but more important than that, that God's presence and God's glory in the church, in the 21st century church, is the goal to which God is striving today. We're going to talk about revival in another lesson coming up very shortly. God never intended to send revival for revival's sake. If you'll pardon the expression, God wanted the church to stay vived all the time and not have to be revived. He wanted the church to always be a place of His tangible, abiding presence. He wanted the New Testament church to always be a place where people could come and experience God, just that simple. And it is because a variety of things that men and religion have introduced into the church that has basically shut down the life of God and the flow of God's presence and God's power. And one of the things that we have mistakenly in the church done is to say that, well, when the power of God quits flowing or when the presence of God begins to wane and subside, we have used all kinds of elaborate theological explanations to basically explain it away. That, well, where did the miracles go? Well, it was just for a season of time in history. Well, where have the gifts of the Holy Spirit gone? Well, that was for then, and this is now. And we've tried so hard as a church to keep in step with the world and the values of the world that we failed to keep in step with what God was doing and what God wanted. Remember this. Remember this. This is so crucial to our understanding. The church belongs to Jesus. It belongs to Him. It does not belong to an organization, a denomination, a ministerial fellowship, to a man or to a woman. It belongs to Jesus. And He is to have, according to Scripture, the preeminence in the church. By preeminence, we mean that everything that goes on centers around him. And dear brothers and sisters, God wants to come to church. He's tired of being an idle observer. He wants in the 21st century to come to his house again and fill it with his presence and fill it with his power in order that a great, not just revival, but a great reformation can come in the world. Beloved, church programs are not going to do it. The methods of men are not going to do it. The church will never be successful, will never be attractive enough to change the hearts of people by programs. But what will change the hearts of people and what will bring reformation in our nation is the revelation of His manifested presence, the revelation of His manifested glory. And so to summarize a bit of what we've done thus far, we just want to underscore again that we're living in prophetic times. This is a chosen generation for a kairos moment in the eternal purposes of a sovereign God. And God wants to come and be revealed. He wants to come and show His power. He wants to come and reveal and manifest Himself in the earth in order to draw men unto Himself. Let's move ahead now. In Lesson 5, we're going to look together briefly at the area of understanding of creating an environment, a spiritual environment, that will bring about the revelation of the glory of God. In an earlier session, we talked about Jubilee and how in Mobile Bay, on the eastern shore of that bay, in the late summer, early fall, conditions become right in the middle of the night and the water changes and the tides and the barometric pressure and all of these things happen and these pools of oxygen-rich water begin to form and how all the fish accumulate in those pools and when tides and winds cause that to come up on shore it becomes this extravaganza for people that, uh, that like to eat fish. It's all you can carry away. Not how much can you catch but how much can you carry That does not happen until all the conditions are right. That does not happen until everything comes together and collides at the right time, at the right place, in everything in its proper and correct proportion. And then that's what sets off this chain reaction in that water that causes this water to become rich in oxygen and ultimately brings about a jubilee. There are conditions... In the spirit realm. There are laws. One of my favorite scriptures is how the Lord said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and plans and purposes greater than and higher than and different from. The scriptures teach us very clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul talked about this how that the natural mind does not comprehend the things of the Spirit. To really understand glory, it must be experienced. You can go study glory in the Greek. You can go study glory in the Hebrew. You can study glory in Chinese and Russian and whatever else you want to talk about. Or study in the original languages, you can go read this and read that and read something else. But glory is a balance between the academic, cognitive, intellectual side that we develop an understanding through the study of the Word and by taking courses like this, mixed with the experience of God's presence. One of the most moving scenes I've ever had in my entire life was in India in a great crusade there. We had gone to a little town of about 4,000 people and did a crusade. We had thirty-five to 40,000 people a night in those meetings. I will never forget on a particular evening at ministry time when we gave the invitation to all of these tens of thousands of Hindus to come to Jesus. And they came by the thousands. 8,000 people saved in that one service alone. I never will forget a little boy. He was what we call a railway child. He was a little orphan boy. He would have been about six years old. He had no mother, had no father. Lived in the railway stations, was a beggar and a thief. And he had hair that was out to about here. It was dirty and matted. There's no way to comb it. You just have to cut it. Just a map of dirt and grime and oil just matted together. And this little child came forward. I'll never forget that little boy. He'd never taken a course on the glory. He'd never read a book, he'd never had any kind of understanding, but this little boy, six years old, that just lived on the streets, was standing there at the platform with his hands uplifted, his head tilted back, his eyes closed, and tears streaming down his cheeks. You see, that was not a theological understanding that he was having. That little boy was experiencing God. They say that 8,000 people got saved that night. I don't know, God knows but I know one did. I know one did. And that was that child that had experienced the presence of God in such a wonderful way. I want to say this in order to understand very clearly. And if you miss everything else in this session, I want you to get this right. God cannot be manipulated or controlled. There is no recipe to put God in a box And make Him do anything. However, there are things that we can do that cooperate with His thoughts. There are things that we can do as Christians. There are things that we can do as leaders that cooperate with the moving of His Spirit. There are things that we can do that cooperate with His ways that are higher than our ways. And so in this lesson, we're going to look at how to cooperate with Him how to create the type of environment on our side and on our part, how we can cooperate with His ways and His thoughts that will set everything in a right posture that God in His sovereignty, knowing all things and knowing every heart, if He chooses to move, we are better positioned to cooperate with Him. There are conditions, just like conditions in a jubilee in Mobile Bay, that must be present for God to reveal Himself, for His glory to be seen. One of the great questions that I like in the Bible came from 2 Samuel chapter 6. It was the story that we referred to last evening, how that when David had gone away to get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back, took 30,000 men with him, to bring the glory back and put it back in its rightful place where it had been hidden away for 20 years at the house of Abinadab. And you remember the story, how that they were transporting it and the oxen stumbled. And one of Abinadab's sons, Yuza, reached out to steady the ark. And when he did, he touched the glory and instantly he was killed because he had touched the manifested presence of God that rested upon that ark in such an awesome way. One of my favorite questions in the Bible is the question that David asked himself and God and everyone that heard at that scene where Uzzah had just been killed attempting to transport the glory. David said in Second Samuel 6, 9, he said, how can the glory come to me? How can the glory come to me? David was a man after God's own heart. He passionately desired to bring that glory back. And now Uzzah has been killed and quite honestly they're afraid to even attempt to move the ark any further for fear that perhaps all of them be killed. But David was so frustrated and angry because he wanted so passionately to bring that glory. He loved the presence. He loved it with a great, great passion the manifested presence of God. Now I want to share with you Bible teachers teach about what we come to know as original sin. And what original sin really involves is how Adam and Eve were created in the perfect image of God in Eden. And they were put in this wonderful place which was like heaven on earth called Eden. And you remember the story of how they sinned. And when they sinned, they broke relationship and fellowship. That perfect union, that perfect fellowship and communion that had gone on between them and God was suddenly taken away. Last evening we talked together about the glory that Jesus lived in when he walked upon the earth. The glory that Jesus lived in and how that when he died on the cross that glory then became ours. He said the glory that Father you've given me I've given to my church that they may be one, just as you and I are one, that they may be one together with us and in us and through us. Well, beloved, that glory was on Adam and Eve in the garden, perfect intimacy, perfect fellowship with God. But when sin came, that fellowship was broken, that communion was broken, and that glory, I believe they were literally clothed in the glory of God. And that's the reason when sin came, that glory was taken away. Suddenly, they discovered their nakedness, and they went out and tried to clothe themselves in fig leaves. And do you remember how God came walking in the garden and said, Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam came out, and God confronted him, and he said, why are you dressed like you're dressed? And Adam said, because I was naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? and God covered him remember with the skin of an animal that God had sacrificed to become their atonement to become their covering but my brothers and sisters Adam had lived in an incredible measure of God and when that measure of God was broken because of sin the idea of original sin means that Adam's carnality that Adam's sin nature which is rooted in rebellion against God, was transferred down to every successive generation to follow, right down to you and I today. Born into this world with a nature, a personality that is flawed, that rebellion is so deep within it. But church, just as what theologians refer to as original sin has been passed down to every generation I coined a word or a title that I like to call original glory because just as Adam's nature of sin and rebellion has come down, Adam never forgot to the day he died what it was like to live in the glory of God. And just like you and I today and people everywhere have inherited from Adam that propensity to original sin, I believe that there's something in every man something in the heart of every woman, every child, every teenager that longs for original glory, that longs to be in the presence of God, that longs that the earliest records of history of mankind. It doesn't matter what part of the world they were in, we find a search in people looking for God. You and I have heard the stories of missionaries that have gone in third world countries to tribes that were never evangelized, never heard the gospel, and yet found there a hunger for God. I remember hearing the story of a missionary in South America many, many years ago that found a tribe in a jungle in Brazil, and they were going around looking in hollow logs and looking in trees and under rocks. And the missionary said, what are you looking for? I said, we're looking for God. There's something down in the heart of every person, always has been, that was searching for the reality of God, for the reality of His presence. And there are things that God wants us to understand and to do as Christians and as leaders in the 21st century church that will cooperate with the Holy Spirit to bring about that revelation of glory that the whole world is looking for. The entire world is looking for the revelation of His glory. Now last evening we talked a bit about the difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifested presence of God. And you remember that we found that the omnipresence of God means that God is everywhere at all times and in all places and there's nowhere that we can go that He's not already there. Psalm 139, 7 through 12, David said, where can I go from your spirit? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to hell, you're there. And where can I go? Now, God's presence is everywhere. His manifested presence, however, is not everywhere yet. Understand that the presence of God is in the biggest crack house in America. The presence of God is there. The presence of God is in every bar. It's in every gambling casino. The presence of God is there, but it is not His manifested presence yet. One of my favorite revivals of history was the great Welch revival a hundred years ago last month in Wales. We'll talk about that revival in another session coming up. But it is said, recorded, that in the Welch revival that the presence of God would just manifest in bars and pubs in Wales. People would be in there drinking And suddenly they'd just get frozen like statues. Their hands would be gripping a glass of whiskey and yet they couldn't release it. And the glass would be stuck to the top of the bar and they'd stand there and shake and tremble in the presence of God trying to get away and couldn't escape. And God would touch them and save them. The Welch revival was in such power and glory that ultimately all the bars of Wales had to close down. They didn't close down because of prohibition. They closed down for lack of business. <laughs> Everybody gotten saved. We'll talk about that in a later lesson. But church, there's a revelation that we need to have, that we need to understand, that glory is when God comes out of the spirit realm into the natural realm. That's His manifested presence. Isaiah 6.3 has an interesting reference there. Isaiah had had this marvelous experience with the Lord in which he said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple. And Isaiah goes on to describe what he saw for that moment when he was in heaven in that measure. But he heard angels and angelic beings in heaven saying, The whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. Sometimes we think that we need to pray, Oh, God, send the glory, send the glory, send the glory, send the glory. What we need to gather our thoughts and our hearts together and understand is His presence is already here. His glory is already in the earth. The presence of the Holy Spirit is already in the earth. What we long to see Is that open heaven, that barrier that separates the natural realm from the spirit realm breached and His presence come into the natural realm and be revealed in such a way that we can experience Him? Understand this very clearly. God is present everywhere now by His omnipresence, but His glory is His manifested presence And the reason that this course is so pertinent to the times in which we're living is we're living in a season of history that God wants to bring everything together in order to breach that barrier and reveal Himself in our lives individually, in churches corporately, and yes, even in the nations. This is what is in God's heart to do. There are things that we can do that will cooperate with Him. Now, I live in Florida and maybe some of you perhaps have visited the Kennedy Space Center on the east coast of Florida, where the entire space program has been based since the 1960s. When the moon shots were being planned and the Saturn V rocket was being designed, it was apparent because of the height and the size of this particular Saturn V rocket that it was going to be necessary to construct a building large enough to assemble it and service it and make them ready for launch. And so they built this gigantic building there at the Kennedy Space Center. It's hollow on the inside. Just a large shell created for the assembly and servicing of these Saturn V rockets. But brothers and sisters, when that assembly building was completed, there was something that the engineers had not planned for. And that was that inside this large assembly building, the environmental conditions were such that clouds would form in the top of the building, and it would drizzle rain. Can you imagine rain falling inside of a building? The sun is shining outside, and the rain is falling inside the building. And they had to spend many more millions of dollars changing the air conditioning system and correcting the interior environment inside that assembly building because what was happening is in that building this warm, moist, humid Florida air was gathering at the top of this building in the shade and it was cooling and it was condensing and forming a cloud And out of the cloud, rain was falling. The conditions were right even when it was inside a building. And so they had to change the interior environment of the building to stop the rain from falling. Now, why do you tell that story, Brother John? Because God wants the rain of His Spirit to fall in the church, the rain of His presence in His Spirit. And religion and doctrine and denominationalism and unbelief in the church has changed the original environment intended by God to such a measure that the rain doesn't fall anymore. But God wants to correct that. Now, there's several things that we want to look at. Now, we don't have to bring the glory down. We don't have to bring the glory up. We don't have to bring the glory in. The glory is here right now. It is bringing forth the glory out of the supernatural realm into the natural realm. We hear a lot of music in these days of renewal. I like some of the songs, some of the new songs in the last few years of revival and renewal. However, some of the theology in those words really stinks. It's not what the Word says. We sing these songs about send him on down, send him on down. Lord, send the Holy Ghost on down. We'll send him down Where? From where? Where is he coming down from? Atlanta? Where is he coming down from? Cincinnati? He's already here, church. He's already here. We must learn to cooperate with him. Now, let's look quickly at some things that we can do that will cooperate with God, that will bring about a spiritual environment in which his glory may be revealed. First and foremost is. We want to have a correct and proper emphasis on the Word of God. This is God's Word. Jesus said in John 6, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you are spirit and life. Hebrews 4:12 says, For the Word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Church, the Word of God needs to be preached. It needs to be honored. It needs to be respected because it is life. It's not just an old ancient book of antiquity, but it is literally breathed by God, and it is filled with glory. It is filled with life. His Word keeps us clean and free from sin. Stay with the Word. Stay with the Word. Stay with the Word. Now one thing that's important, and I want you to remember this, is to stay with the Word of God, not with, quote, unquote, correct doctrine. You say, well, does that mean we need to abandon the Word and get involved in anything and everything? No, didn't say that at all. But the word correct, quote, unquote, doctrine is a very subjective word. Because correct doctrine many times means whatever I think. And there are all kinds of people out here in the body of Christ that are diametrically opposed to each other, constantly fighting, and they all believe they're right. They all believe they're right. Let's just stay with the Word. Let's let the Word speak for itself and not be hung up by trying to add to it and superimpose over it our biases, our opinions, the things that we say that God will and God won't do. The second environmental condition that will bring about the manifestation of glory is hunger and desire to see His glory revealed. In Exodus 33, 18, we read that scripture last night. When Moses had this conversation with God about His presence going with them into the promised land, Moses comes back to God and he says, Please, please please, please show me your glory. That word is a word of passion. No man, no woman, no church will ever see the manifestation of the glory of God come and be sustained without desperation and without a hunger to see it happen. In Psalm 63, I'm just going to give you these scriptures and you go and read them on your own. Psalm 63, Psalm 42, Psalm 51. Go and read those scriptures and you will begin to see a pattern in David as a man that was passionately in love with God's presence. A man that was passionately pursuing the revelation of glory. That's why he was described as a man after God's own heart. You see, most Christians today are people that are after God's own hand, Gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. I'll take all you can give me. David was not concerned so much about what God could give to him as he was about who God was, and he wanted to know him. He wanted to touch him. He wanted to spend time in his presence. God desires to be sought by his people. Jeremiah 29, 13, go read that. But it says, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. You will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. The nature of our ministry is, you know, we've been all these places the last 10 years, 43 denominations. But we never ask for meetings. We never go out. We don't call people. We don't try to promote our ministry. We pray a lot. And we have intercessors that pray for us. Why? Simply for this reason. We don't want meetings. We want divine appointments, divine appointments where people are hungry, where people are thirsty, where God sees, and God sees the hearts of people, where people are praying for revival, where churches are praying for the revelation of His glory. Little churches, big churches, city churches, country churches, the only place that our ministry ever wants to go is not a big church, a small church, a city church, a country church, Our only criteria is we want to go to a hungry church. Simply for this reason, unless hunger is present in the hearts of people, very little, if anything, is going to happen. Very little, if anything at all, is going to happen. The third environmental condition that helps to bring about the revelation of glory is spirit and truth worship. John four twenty one. Jesus was speaking and He said to the woman at the well, God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in the key of C or the key of A or with professional musicians. No, Jesus said those that really want to worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's the only kind of worship that God understands. That's the only kind of worship that God is attracted to. And then Jesus went on to say, For the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking people that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is looking for loyalty. God is looking for sincerity. He's not looking for people that will just sing to Him or whatever. Because God does not need cheap flattery. Some people think that what worship is is flattery of God. Well, God doesn't need flattery. Let me let you in a little secret. God doesn't need to be reassured by His people that He's holy. He doesn't need to be reassured that He's loved. He's doing quite well. He's not walking off a bad childhood. He doesn't have low self-esteem. And He doesn't get up every morning and say, Oh, somebody worship me because I'm feeling down. He's doing just fine. What worship does, brothers and sisters, is worship is a condition that is conducive to the opening of that barrier that will bring forth the manifestation of his presence, his power and his glory. Fourth condition is the willingness to yield the right away to his presence. Second Chronicles 5 14, when the glory filled the temple. It says the priest could not stand to minister because of the glory. Now, I would have loved to have been there that day, because I can just see them still trying. Doesn't say they didn't try. It said they couldn't stand. They had a program planned. They had something already orchestrated and worked out. And yet God's glory came in, spoiled the whole thing. All the plans had to go out the window when the glory came in. One of the hallmarks of the 20th century church that God is going to use is our willingness to yield. Many churches, many ministries, many people in ministry, they desperately want God to come to their meeting as long as He fits into the agenda, as long as He keeps it in order and stays on the program. But God's raising up a new generation of leaders that passionately love His presence and have learned that the Holy Spirit can be trusted. Remember that. The Holy Spirit can be trusted. He always knows what to do. He always knows how to do it. And we can always trust Him. And He will move. You see, God will either yield to us or we will yield to God. But we will not have both. We either yield to him and allow him to have his way or he will yield to us and give us our way. But he's raising up a church in the earth that knows how to yield. The fifth condition is faith and expectancy. Go read Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 48 about the explosion of glory at the house of Cornelius when Peter preached. My brothers and sisters, Peter had been sent there by God. Cornelius and all of his house were so hungry that Peter was there preaching to them. He was preaching. And right in the middle of Peter's message, the heavens opened. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on the place like on the day of Pentecost, all of these Gentiles begin speaking in other tongues. And Peter and the Jews that were with him suddenly realized that it, God was going to pour out His Spirit on even the Gentiles not exclusively reserved for the Jews only. Realize that Peter never finished the message. He never asked them to bow their heads, close their eyes. No one sang, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. No one raised their hand for prayer. No one stepped out and made their way to the front to meet with a counselor to fill out a card. They were just there in the house of Cornelius. The heavens opened. The glory of God came. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized, speaking in other tongues. And Peter looks at the others and says, Can any forbid water that we baptize baptized them, seeing as God has poured out the Holy Spirit of these Gentiles as he did on us at the beginning? What brought that about was the environment of hunger and desperation that was in that place in such a measure. In Mark 6, verses 1 through 6, we read that. It was about the return of Jesus to Nazareth and how Jesus had been sent to Nazareth to bring revival, to bring healing, to bring deliverance. But the people of his hometown, his home region, were offended at him. The Bible says that Jesus could do no mighty work. Because of their unbelief. You see, it was just the hardness of their heart that shut down the revelation of glory in Nazareth. And it was the faith and expectancy and desperation and hunger that opened the heavens at the house of Cornelius. Two entirely different places, two entirely different results, and the determining factor in both situations one bringing great revival, the other was shut revival down was the content of people's hearts. Sixthly, speak of the glory and it will come. I really don't understand that. I really don't understand that. But when we begin to speak of His glory, we begin to speak of it, something happens in the spirit realm. The seventh thing in closing is we must learn to constrain His glory when it comes. One of the most amazing truths in this study of glory is that many times there's something in the nature of God that he likes to be sought. And sometimes in God, he will come, he will move, he will minister. And brothers and sisters, it's like he backs off a little bit. And most of us think, well, you know, the old Christian explanation for that is, Well, you know, you just can't live on the mountaintop all the time. Got to go down into the valley where life's real. Where does it say that in the Bible? It's not there. Jesus said, I'm always with you. He wants to reveal his glory to us continuously. One of the things that God wants us to understand in these days is when his presence comes, his glory comes, we need to value it and cherish it and cling to it and constrain it. And hold on to it. And in another lesson we're going to learn how to do that. But just to close in saying. God wants to be held on to. And when we refuse to let him go. Like Jacob did in the wilderness. When he told Jesus. He said I will not let you go until you bless me. That's the thing that moves the heart of God in a great great way. And that's when we see God move in a greater dimension in our hearts. God bless you.